Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the Bad Taste Crime Cast, and I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. Welcome to 2020. No. Hey. <laughs> new year, new me. Same old bullshit. Janelle, welcome back. We missed Thank you. you. Yes, I had to. I had to go away for a while. That makes it sound like you went. I, know. I went to jail to no. rehab. Or January started off with a with a banger. Yes, one could say. Mm-hmm. Mm. But according to my my tarot card reading, I should be golden the rest of this year. So good, that's great news. Yes. That's awesome news, it's exciting news. Hopefully, that means good news for the podcast. Right as well. in all things that I do, it will be wonderful. <laughs> that's the attitude you need to have. I know. To just keep it. I'm just my attitude for this year is like I don't give a fuck what everyone else is talking about. I'm over here doing whatever the fuck I want. 2020 year of. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> fuck it. I'm a I'm exactly. doing me. I literally have a keychain on my purse that says fuck it right now. <laughs> nice. It's so like your personal my mantra. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, my god. It. <laughs> Just fuck it. It's fine. Well, hopefully I mean, I'm hoping good things for you. I'm, I'm putting I mean, you out too. good vibes. Like, we're in this together, Vicky. It's so true. Yeah. I guess on that note, let's over to the newsroom. Yeah. <laughs> Because we all know that the news the rest of this year is going to be bullshit. I mean, <laughs> it's it is election it, Oh my god. Let's I almost not. forgot. <laughs> I have been trying to forget, kind of. It hasn't gotten bad yet. Just yet. Um, not yet. Well. We'll get another month. <laughs> yeah. So maybe. If that, hopefully. I think spring anyway. is when it's going to start getting real yeah. fucked. But in we're the not meantime, a political podcast. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about murder. <laughs> yes, murder will get us through. So this story comes to us from <laughs> South Carolina. Um, <laughs> you may have seen this on the news, and I found mm-hmm. this very interesting. Uh, Lena or Lana Sue Clayton, she poisoned her husband with visine mm-hmm. drops, and he died. 
and she recently pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. I did see that. Now, Mm -hmm. I immediately saw this, and my first thought, because I've definitely seen cases where this happens, was like, I bet you she was trying to make him sick and Mm -hmm. then use too much. And when I read further down in the article, it was like, she said that she was just trying to make him uncomfortable and use too much. And I was like, oh my God, it's like, I know what I'm talking about or something. Exactly. It's like we've done this for years. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I had brought this up to my mom, I think. And she was like, I never heard of that before, surprisingly enough. Funny thing. So I do a lot of classes with kids and there's a slime recipe that calls for using eye solution Mm -hmm. and they say not to use it with kids who are under the age of eight because they'll eat the slime and they will fucking die yeah so when i heard this that's what i was thinking i'm like oh all those times that i you know someone's like let's make slime and i'm like nope we're not doing that one i mean it sounds like fun but (laughs) seriously like eye drops are super toxic insanely toxic and you're putting that into your eyeball right no problems here (laughs) i know it's one of those things that is interesting because i've definitely i've used eye drops before they definitely Mm -hmm. help when Mm -hmm. you have you know your contacts are dry or you have red eyes or whatever you smoke too much weed yeah no how it goes eyeball open with a yeah, right. metal shelf that was me you what <laughs> cut your eyeball open with the metal shelf yeah i was working somewhere and we were putting up metal shelves and the slid back oh my god and i caught it but it like my eye was closed but it still like cut through and um that's I had terrifying some, had some terrible eye flaps and then the glitter got into it because oh was my god it was like attack of the glitter my worst fucking nightmare realized oh so. my gosh Mm-hmm. Wow. Fun times. I can see perfect, though. So that's oh, good. Fine. That's good. <laughs> didn't affect my vision whatsoever. That's good. Um, the interesting thing about this particular case is that she was saying she was doing this because she's been suffering years of abuse from her husband, mm-hmm. Stephen Clayton. And I there, there was an incident beforehand where she actually shot him in the head with a crossbow as well did you see that i did not see that yeah um Um, it was like a few (laughs) like three years before this they had gotten um into an argument about something and she shot her husband in the back of the head with a cross crossbow and he's saying it it was an accident yeah so you know you wonder was this the first time if i was him i would be like Maybe time for a divorce. That's interesting. Or maybe somebody, time to stop slapping your wife. Somebody else I was talking to about this case was like, wouldn't you think after that happens that you would just like get the fuck out of there and be mm-hmm. done with it? And of course, I'm always like the devil's advocate to be like, have you ever been shot in the back of the head by a crossbow <laughs> by you your forgot. wife? Maybe you forgot. Because maybe you don't know how you would react in that mm-hmm. situation. Maybe you would think maybe it was it an accident. Maybe it hit him or... in the right way in the brain where he forgot what happened. <laughs> just, just so. So just forgot. To, to give you the short-term memory to not remember that particular event. Exactly. Sure. Right? I mean, it's yes. Just like, it's just like a lobotomy. <laughs> right. Same diff. Because that totally works. <laughs> they work. 100% of the time, all the time. Uh, Lobotomies. Oh, God. For 2020. Actually, that we, we probably will need lobotomies by the end of this year. Probably. <laughs> Moving along to Netflix and Kill. We're going to talk about a very controversial and I would also say disturbing 
docuseries. Can I guess? Yeah. Is it about Aaron Hernandez? No. No. <laughs> Damn it. Not until the next episode. Okay. <laughs> Is that one disturbing and controversial? I haven't watched it it's yet. It's controversial. Mainly, but... I wouldn't say disturbing necessarily. Oh, no. This is Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, I watched that. Because we have oh, not no. talked about it since it's been out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, first of all, I'm going to say major spoiler, spoiler alert if you haven't... Um, watch this yet but also didn't we cover this case i don't think that we covered i think we've talked about the case before but i don't know that we did like a full coverage on it because it is because you probably have heard us talk yeah (laughs) so the premise of the documentary surrounds luca magnata who is one of canada's like probably more well-known uh killers who infamously released a video of him killing cats on youtube followed by um just some it was just awful it's awful animal animal abuse multiple videos of him killing and harming cats he eventually releases a video of him murdering um somebody and the docuseries kind of looks at the people who were watching this happen in real time online and trying to track down this asshole who was harming kittens Mm -hmm. because you just don't do that or with any animal exactly and honestly i find those videos far more disturbing which i mean that says a lot about me but (laughs) i Mm -hmm. that's what triggered me i didn't want to watch it because i thought they were going to show the videos in greater detail than they did and i'm glad they didn't yeah and that's (laughs) that's the thing that i've had a lot of people say to me about this is they were like well i'm reading online that they do get pretty graphic with the pieces of this that they show in the docuseries and i will say right now they don't show any actual like the the portions of the videos where the animals are actually being Abused, killed, yeah. but they do show the before and, and the kind after. of the lead up mm-hmm. and the after. So it is something I think you I should. Mean, the way in which he's killing them isn't like when they're dead. It's not graphic. There's not blood and guts. Right. It, right. They. It looks like a a sleeping cat. Yeah. Yeah. But your mind's filling in all the gaps Mm -hmm. so that's the part that's triggering yeah i do think if you are thinking about watching this just to take care because it it is i did like i said through a couple parts disturbing i didn't want to see it the the part with uh where he decides to vacuum seal some animals yes i fast forwarded through because i didn't even want to think about it yeah to where my mind was going to fill in those blanks yeah um so i just skipped it all together yeah so just just be warned on that front i do think information wise it was very interesting because it's not so much about Luca Magnata and like him as a person or mm-hmm. necessarily although they do interview his mom and I thought that was very interesting that bitch is crazy I'm yeah. sorry I understand that you're you know that's your son you're trying to grapple with the horrible things he's done but she's yeah. in utter denial yeah yeah I I uh I agree <laughs> I think it that part was very interesting but they it's more around these people who kind of created this online community to really try and nail down this mystery person who is posting animal abuse videos online because that's fucking weird and Mm -hmm. awful. And they wanted to figure out who it was. And so they 
I mean, it definitely examines some of these negative aspects of things like um, like doxing or really the mob mentality that can kind of happen online when definitely. you really like nail somebody. All of a sudden, everyone's like, yes, it's this person. It's this person. And nobody wants to hear anything else. So I, I did appreciate kind of the look at that part of it, too. Um, but they also go into, like, this community working with the authorities as the authorities in real time are discovering what's happening in this case and was just kind of a an interesting take on the whole thing, I think. Yeah. Like I said, you do need to take a lot of care if you're looking at this one. Maybe look into the case a little bit before mm-hmm. watching it and find out if it's really worth it to you. I was going to watch it regardless. Cause yeah, I read about it before I watched it just so that I knew if there was any graphic details, if I wanted to skip through. Um, again, animal abuse hits me in a certain way. I adopt a lot of animals that have been abused. So right. that for me was probably the most disturbing part, which is fucked up because he dismembers somebody. <laughs> but yeah, I think because I, I don't ever see that on a day-to-day basis. Like, I see animals yeah, that have, true. like the dog I, the previous dog I had, like he was beaten with a baseball bat. So true. like I yeah. see the outcomes of that sort of a thing. I don't necessarily see the outcomes of people being murdered all the time. So I think, I mean, I would count that as a positive. I mean, that's a great thing that's happening in my life for 2020. <laughs> I don't see Check people get one murdered. for 2020. <laughs> um, but it was very interesting. I'm always fascinated by like the armchair detective kind of yes. grouping, yeah. which I feel like podcasts really bring that out of yeah but definitely the scary part of that is there is such a mob mentality and i think that's where the good stuff that happens with armchair detective groups goes you know people look back and they're like okay well but then they you know started a witch hunt right and and that honestly and it happens in a lot of things that negative is always going to overshadow the Mm -hmm. positive Almost always. Yeah. And if it wasn't for armchair detective groups, we wouldn't have people... Like, cops aren't going to take the time to investigate, like, with um, a lot of cases of um, the East Area Rapist. There were people who were going through and checking on the jewelry that was stolen and the brooches and things like that. The police are not going to take the time to go through every single tiny, minute detail and that's where those people come in. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's called Don't Fuck With Cats. It's on Netflix. Don't fuck with animals, guys. Just generally speaking. Just don't fuck with animals. Generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. Uh, check it out. This is that part of the show where we say concept may not be appropriate for our listeners. This My is, eyes got real big. Yeah. I was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, this is going to be, as you might have been able to tell from the start, a particularly heavy episode. Yes. Uh, so take special care uh-huh. when listening. That seems to be my catchphrase today. Mm-hmm. Take special care because we are going to be talking about some disturbing topics and mm-hmm. I think um, some stuff that hits particularly close to home for us. Yes, a lot of um, things to do with children. So if you don't want to yes. hear tales about child abuse or murder, mm-hmm. maybe not listen to this one. <laughs> yes, same on mm-hmm. my end. So with that being said, Janelle. Yes. What are we talking about today? So we've been putting this off because we wanted to kind of see where things went. Definitely <laughs> a situation where... We wanted to let things run its course before we weighed in for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to kind of, the case that sparked this episode was um, the case that I'm covering out of Crystal Lake to do with a child and um, 
some miscarriages of justice with the DCFS. So I wanted to investigate some more small town kind of crimes and the larger aspects of law dealing with those um, smaller areas that don't have access to um, investigative tools that mm-hmm. larger places do. So yeah. For me, I wanted to to look into the AJ Friend case. Now, this was a nationally covered news story. I'm sure that people have been inundated with the investi- you know, the investigation from the start. I really wanted to cover this because of the proximity of the case to us. It's in a small town in Illinois in Crystal Lake. It's very close to where we are. Yes. Um, I deal with a lot of children. I have dealt with DCFS before. It kind of starts with this small town crime, but ends with how can we how can we overhaul a system that it's completely flawed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I work with kids a lot, and I personally have had to call or you know put into DCFS a complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, I've dealt with people, families who have had DCFS called on them, probably unwarranted. So it is this very harsh system anyone can make a complaint anything Mm -hmm. could be founded unfounded there's so many intricacies with it Mm -hmm. and it's Um, a very real balancing act i mm -hmm. think between protecting and not being invasive exactly also it's it's difficult to say um i have had to go through training to recognize signs of abuse Mm -hmm. and um the simple signs too like malnourishment um not bathing that sort of thing yeah little little signs uh not everybody can recognize that or wants to recognize that some people don't like children you know Mm -hmm. so they don't pay attention right i wouldn't say that i'm like I love kids, but I work with them. It's what I do. And working with the public, it is your duty to report something. That whole see something, say something is especially pertinent with children because they don't have the vocabulary or the wherewithal to be able to discuss things that are happening to them. There's a lot of times where kids will explain abuse that's happening to them as a story or um, they'll insert a monster or an imaginary friend, or they'll talk about it outside of the realm of their own person, like in a third-person situation. Right, right. Um, So all of those things, you have to be able to kind of wade through that sort of um, mindset of a child to understand what's happening. And it's very difficult because kids are imaginative, and they do like to tell stories and make things up, but... There are telltale signs of when a child is being abused. And so this case for me was particularly haunting, really, um, as I was reading about it more and more and as it unfolded before us over the past year, because I have seen stuff like this happen to children Mm -hmm. and we can do better to help kids in these situations. Yeah. So... I will be um, highlighting some graphic content, but I am not going to go into the details of his death specifically because it is a lot. It's it's it is, too much. <laughs> it is brutal and mm-hmm. horrific. Yes. And I think for at least for us, like we had to live through watching this unfold mm-hmm. and then the information coming out all the time for a while Mm -hmm. um and i think that is totally fair to not Mm -hmm. want to continue talking about how awful and horrific it was Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'll just touch on a few details of his of his death, but what I want to mm-hmm. really concentrate is the the history of that particular family with the DCFS system and things that they did and didn't do and um, how we can kind of learn from this and try to create a better system. So this particular uh, case took place last year in 2019. In that year, 123 children died while in the DCFS system. Wow. Um, In a 384-page report released at the beginning of this year, of those 123 children, 24 were ruled homicides, 37 were ruled accidental, 34 were natural causes, 7 were suicide, and 21 were undetermined. Jeez. So right off the bat, those numbers are fucking mortifying. Jesus. This isn't the highest year. In 2005, 139 children died in the DCFS system. Uh, It does show that there's a little bit of progress that kind of happens. Um, In that year, there was an an overhaul of the system. We'll put overhaul in quotes because it wasn't really quite an overhaul. Mm -hmm. They just hired someone to... um, "Quote unquote monitor things." Oh, great! Right? That's always the good job. That's always the solution is to hire a manager to overlook things. That never works. But I wanted to highlight these numbers because it does show the issues with the system and the protection of children. There should not be 123 kids dying in this system. That it just that shouldn't happen. Maybe of natural causes, right? There are kids who are severely sick that get taken away from their families because they can't afford to care for them. That does happen. Mm -hmm. But I think the shocking thing for me was the seven suicides and 21 undetermined deaths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, infant mortality rates are pretty low, but there is still SIDS and things like that that happen, and that's where most of that undetermined death uh, comes from. So would this be infant through 18 Mm -hmm. or 17? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, um, but for the majority of these numbers, they are happening to children that are 10 and under. Okay. So that's, that for me is the scary part. These are happening to kids, little, little kids, not, not teenagers. So like I said, this story takes place in Crystal Lake. If you're not familiar, it is a suburb, um, that's about an hour away from Chicago. It's kind of, um... I don't know, kind of an idyllic place. There's like a lake. There's a lot of recreational uh, things that you can do. Yeah. It's, it's You've a also cute got little... that kind of like big box area with all the shops Definitely. and like that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like a you can have it all. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of country, a little bit of city vibe totally. going with it. Totally. On April 18th of 2019, five-year-old AJ Friend was reported missing by his father, Andrew. According to the police reports, Andrew stated that he went to a doctor's appointment at 630 in the morning, and when he returned home, the child was missing. So, this is Mm -hmm. what he said. I had a doctor appointment that morning, and when I got back from the doctor's appointment and I checked in on him to say good morning, he wasn't there. Sure. Okay. The... Uh, I I remember this. I remember that happening, and Mm -hmm. it was sketchy from the outside oh yeah because he said um, i searched all over the house and i canvassed the neighborhood but i couldn't find him yeah okay i will say i was i think all through this i was definitely that person where it's like okay we need to wait for information to come out we need to wait for them to like charge somebody in the trial to go through before i give a final opinion 
on because mm-hmm. you do want to like see all of the facts and see right. everything that's happening. And it's not but hard I, to jump to conclusions. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> it is, and especially in this case, like mm-hmm. my god, did people jump to conclusions? But, I mean, there was a uh, people really felt that it was the family yeah, from the yeah, start. Yeah, and I can say in hindsight, like that was really sketchy when mm-hmm. that was happening. Oh yeah. Like. Ooh, the whole okay. thing. Yeah. As soon as you hear a, a kid is missing, you're like, okay, let's run through all of these scenarios. But what did it, what people really realized is that there was no, there was no evidence of anything happening. Right. And for like, there's no broken doors, mm-hmm. no broken windows, no screen cuts, no footprints, like all of these things that would al- allude to somebody taking him were not there right but also things like he didn't his you know none of his personal effects were gone so of him running away as well yeah there was no evidence of any of that happening right so um this resulting phone call to the police saying he was missing um had brought about 15 police agencies in to investigate they used drones they used rescue canine units um, but the police said that it was likely that AJ had not walked away and was not abducted because of all the lack of that evidence. Instead, they focused the investigation on the family home because they knew something had happened there. Yeah. It's, it's just where everything was pointing to. Right. Now, we know in most cases that killers or, abd- or abductors are usually more often not in children's cases close to home. Yep. It's just kind of the way it happens. Yep. But... You can see why the police jumped to a conclusion right away, especially when they go back and they see this very, very, very long reported history of abuse and um, the supervision that DCFS had on this family for years. Yeah. Years. Literally years. It goes all the way back to his birth. God. Um, Yeah. So that's what we're going to do right now is we're going to go back to when he was born and investigate the contact that they had with DCFS, and you will see why there's so much fucking outrage at this child's um, this child's murder. Mm-hmm. AJ Friend's mother, Joanne Cunningham, and his father, Andrew Friend, are drug addicts. I say are drug addicts because they were heroin users, and when you are a drug addict and you use opioids, you never you're never not a drug addict. Right, right. You will struggle with that your entire life, and when you come to that realization. You're a drug addict until you die. Mm-hmm. When AJ was born, he had heroin and other drugs in his system. Oh my goodness, yeah. His mother was submitted to the hospital with fresh track marks in her arm as she was giving birth. Goodness. Immediately, AJ was taken away from his parents, and they were deemed unfit to care for him. I mean, fucking justly. Yeah. They were raging drug addicts. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, Andrew was then placed with his cousin's family in what is called a relative foster home. Mm -hmm. In December of 2014, Andrew's younger brother was born, and he remained home with his mother. So from 2013 to 2015, AJ was in the custody of his cousin, and his parents were granted supervised visits while they were both in treatment for addiction. But also at this time... He had a, a younger brother who was allowed to stay with the family. Yeah. It's one of these things that I'm just like, this sounds for the most part okay, mm-hmm. except for obviously like these people because, who had a history of addiction mm-hmm. still being allowed to keep the second child. But mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of placing them with their family, like that I'm cool with. That's great. That's, um, that's what I would want more so yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But... Pfft. I, ugh, my goodness. I wonder if maybe I, you know, 
I mean, I feel for people who have drug addiction. Yes. Yeah. But there also comes a point where you have to be like, I'm not healthy and it's not healthy for me to have this child. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to come to that realization. Right. Unfortunately, these two people never came to that realization. They fought tooth and nail since he was born saying that they're his parents and that he belongs with them. If you're not healthy, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it does. You know what? Admittedly, like it does take a lot to recognize that in yourself to Mm -hmm. be like, I'm not good enough right now to do this, Mm -hmm. but I need to go off and get. And he wasn't with strangers. Right. So it's not like they were never going to see him again. Mm -hmm. He was with family and they were allowed supervised visits. He couldn't be left alone with them, which is fine. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Mm hmm. It did not end fine. <laughs> no. Um, so what Joanne and Andrew did is they participated in parenting classes. They sought drug treatment and they continued to participate in methadone maintenance and individual cou- counseling through a, a drug treatment program. So they were making active steps yeah, to yeah. try to get better. At 18 months old, the court returned Andrew to the care of the Cunninghams provisionally, which means that the case for the uh, neglect would remain mm-hmm. open so that they could monitor the progress of the family. Which um, is good. Which is good. Which yeah. is good. That's yeah. great. Now, during this time, DCFS made 17 unscheduled visits, nine scheduled visits, and there were no reports of neglect or abuse cited in these visits. Okay. So, not too bad. In April of 2016, the juvenile court officially closed Andrew's case and DCFS monitoring ceased completely. Okay. So this is the issue that I have. Yeah. You have known drug addicts who went through treatment, but they also did have relapses. And you're letting an 18-month-old go off with them without any monitoring or check-ins. I do think it may be like a tapered-off system. Exactly. Because I do think that, like, if you... Like, once you're in the DCFS system, if obviously, like, things are improving, you're doing what you need to to take care Mm -hmm. of what you need to, you shouldn't be forced to be in that system forever, you know? However, by tapering it off and keeping a file, Mm -hmm. right, you know, instead of visits, you know, 20 times a year, you get visits... 10 once times every couple of years and then and then you get visits five times a year mm-hmm. and then yeah like once a year you get like a this is this is where i have an opinion <laughs> um, just this part <laughs> just, this is my first opinion um, <laughs> with this system because drug addiction is something that never ever goes away mm-hmm. i think that they should do check-ins Every couple of years yeah. as like not a welfare check-in, but as in like a family check-in. How are you doing? What changes have happened in your life? Um, You know, making sure that they're going to school regularly, that sort of a thing. Right. Not necessarily to see if there's abuse or neglect. But just, like, a check-in. Yeah. You know, like, people who who send out letters on how their family's doing at Christmas time. Like, yeah. that sort of a thing. Yeah. Like, tell also, us all but about I will say what's going on with you. That is, like, in the ideal system mm-hmm. where we have a, like, something that is willing to help people rather than 
like no system for like drug addiction or mm-hmm. mental health like that's like ideally yes mm-hmm. that would be good but it would be a check-in to be like do you need help with anything exactly sort of a thing mm-hmm. but we like that's just not how it's it's not how built. this works so. it's not it's not built to be helpful it's it's not even necessarily built to rehabilitate oh not at all um, there's no rehabilitation <laughs> it's it's built to punish mm-hmm. and it's built to get your fucking shit together and let me know when it's done yeah <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing yeah 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 which we'll discuss in greater length the changes <laughs> that i think should happen yeah um so now we're going to kind of get a little bit closer to uh the year of his death. So uh, in March of 2018, DCFS received a hotline report that alleged substantial risk of physical injury or an injurious environment or an environmental of neglect against the mother and father to their hotline. The report alleged that the mother was brought to the emergency room after being found unresponsive in a car. Andrew was observed at the hospital to have odd bruising on his face. Okay. Okay. So a DCFS investigator contacted the parents in an unsuccessful attempt to see the children on March 21st, March 29th, April 9th, April 25th. Okay. DCFS investigators met with Joanne and Andrew and his younger brother at the beginning of May. Joanne was interviewed while the boys played outside in the driveway of the home. DCFS investigator observed the boys to be clean and did not find signs of maltreatment. So in these attempts to, like, contact the parents, Mm -hmm. were they just, like, calling to schedule a visit? Or were they, like, going to the house to Mm -hmm. see? So they were going to the house to see them Mm -hmm. on these days? And they just didn't? And they didn't. And I don't know if they leave, like, notes or whatever that they were trying to see them. Yeah. I would imagine they don't if they're trying to do unscheduled. Probably not. I don't think so. Probably not. So they were like, they're fine. Okay. No. She was unresponsive in a fucking car means that she was doing heroin. Right. Right. So it's not fine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, May 17th of 2018, DCFS investigators completed a final safety assessment of the home. Both boys were observed clean and dressed appropriately. Mother reported a history of drug use and current drug treatment. The home was observed to be clean, neat, and adequately furnished. So she had a relapse, but she's still on methadone treatment. Yeah. Yada, 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 yada. Yeah. The next day, investigators verified the mother's participation in the drug treatment program, and the report from March of that year was unfounded, and the investigation closed. Okay. I just... After one visit, they're like, they're good. Well, and I'm thinking this all started because she was brought into the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, this part of it was all started Mm -hmm. because she was brought into the hospital with an obvious overdose. Mm -hmm. And... They are saying that report was unfounded, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. All right. <laughs> so, December of that year, DCFS received another hotline report alleging environmental neglect to both boys because they had cuts, welts, and bruises, especially to Andrew. Mm-hmm. After being called to the home by the mother, police observed a large bruise on Andrew's hip. Police observed the ceiling falling down, the floor torn up, and the kids' bedroom smelling of dog urine. Joanne was arrested for driving on an, a, a suspended license, and protective custody was taken of both children. That's quite a difference from May earlier reports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So DCFS investigators interviewed the boys at the Crystal Lake Police Department. 
They attempted to engage the younger brother who would not talk. The child appeared to be healthy and well cared for. Andrew was then interviewed and the reports that he received the bruise when the family dog pawed at him. DCFS investigators interviewed Joanne at the police station. She stated they were remodeling the home and did admit to the dog feces and urine being present in the home. The investigator asked her about taking Andrew to immediate care after she had been bailed out. The father presented Bond to get the mother out. Uh, Joanne requested to be tested for drugs. DCFS investigator ended the protective custody, and the children were returned home when they just said, yeah, she's fine. I just, I mean... There's the thing in there about her admitting to like the dog feces and dog urine everywhere. I'm like, wouldn't that be enough to be like, this is clearly an unhealthy Mm -hmm. environment? Yep. But then they just, okay. Let him go. All right. So the ER examined Andrew and they could not state how his injury was caused. This is another reason why. They were let go. Mm -hmm. The, The doctor reported the injury could have been caused by anything. A dog, a belt, a football. Very specific. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The doctor was concerned because Andrew stated that, and this was a difficult thing to read. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone hit me with a belt. Maybe mommy didn't mean to hurt me. Oh, my God. So he made inferences that he was hit. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't determine if that was, that particular bruise was caused by a hit or not. Mm -hmm. So... Investigators then conducted an unannounced home visit the following day. The home was observed. The living room and dining room were cluttered with clothes and toys. The kitchen was clean and the floor was missing tile. The ceiling was not falling somehow magically. And investigators sensed a slight odor of dog urine. No feces or urine were actually observed on the floor. Okay. And the father reported to the investigators that he had picked up the children from the hospital last night. And um, he denied that any punishment was being taken out by the mother and that she was not using drugs. Like at the time or like at ever? the time? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. At the, at <laughs> so I was like, she's very <laughs> she clearly did, has used yeah. drugs before. Yeah. So on the 20th of December, DCFS investigators decided that the case and the founding, it was unfounded, the, the cuts and everything, the welts and their bruise, the bruises were just allegations and that there was no abuse happening. Okay. Sure. Sure. Totally. Now, this this brings us to 2019. So, the last contact they had with DCFS was on January 4th of 2019. So, from January to April... April? (laughs) (laughs) From January to April, DCFS was not in contact with the family whatsoever. All right. According to investigators, AJ had likely died on the night of April 15th, but he wasn't reported missing until three days later. Mm Mm-hmm. They had brought out all the stops to kind of search for this child. Yeah, they had they did. sonar teams. Um, they went through the crystal, like la- the lake in Crystal Lake. They mm-hmm. found nothing. They had canine teams. Now the thing is, they only picked up Andrew's scent within the home, which indicated to them that he had not left the house at all. <laughs> right. Now DCFS did receive a hotline tip on April eighteenth, the day that AJ was reported missing about neglect and abuse so i believe it was probably from a neighbor or a family member who called them and saying look there was still abuse going on even if dcfs wasn't investigating it there was still abuse happening right 
Now, the police went to the residence to investigate the missing persons case. They observed the ripped up floors and the trash and the food everywhere. Yeah. Um, the home was completely Yeah. Fucked. And those were the pictures that came out after, like mm-hmm. during the investigation, they released some of these pictures and it, it looked like a hoarder situation. Awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Definitely very hoarder-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kills me about this entire thing, though, is his father used to practice law and yeah. was trying to get back into law. And yeah. when you're looking at where he's living and all of these allegations and his in- rampant drug use, you're like, fucking how, dude, how? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of very, like, salacious details of this mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. that were really, like, what the fuck is... And it also sounded like... I mean, they were still technically together, but it sounded like they were very off and on. Yeah. Well, and there was a, there of, was like, a love triangle things. situation yeah. happening mm-hmm. as well <laughs> that was like, obviously became a big part of the story because people love details like that. Yeah. Whatever. Which I mean, in terms of this abuse and the DCFS, it, it really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> no, it really does not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry so. for bringing it up. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I mean, if you want yeah. the more... So- I know there's people out there who like the nitty gritty. They don't care how gory it is, details. Yeah. You can Google it. Look it up. And get there's it all. plenty of stuff to read. Yeah. I wanted to take this in a different direction because... I wanted to talk about the important parts of this case that I feel like uh, they get pushed out because they want to just talk about the demonization of these parents. And yes, they are fucking terrible people. Mm -hmm. But you also have to understand they were operating in a system that was not fucking helpful at all. Right. (laughs) So there is all of these things that are coming together and culminating in a fucking five-year-old dying and being buried in a shallow fucking grave. Yeah. So... That's that's why I want to bring a, a light to this. Is, yeah, is there needs to be something more that we should do? I agree. Yeah. So after the initial response to the missing persons case, obviously detectives turned their attention towards the parents. They really suspected foul play. Uh, the detectives worked in cooperation with DCFS to pull the previous reports against the family. They then searched cell phones and laptops and spoke with the neighbors. Now, prosecutors said that Chris Lake police were able to retrieve several videos from Cunningham's iPhone and iCloud account following numerous subpoenas. And this part was what fucking shocked me about the entire thing. Who keeps videos of them abusing their fucking children? Remember what I always say about not keeping records. Don't keep records. You don't keep records of this shit if you're trying to get away from it. But at the same time, you have to wonder if they were doing drugs at the time. Was it really like a rational mind thing? Exactly. Probably not. So, three videos taken in March of 2019 by Cunningham showed evidence of AJ's physical abuse. During a March 4th video, police said that Cunningham recorded AJ as he laid on a bare mattress in a crib at their Crystal Lake home. So, she's taken all these weird videos and things. Some of them aren't, like, blatantly showing her hitting him, and some of them are. Yeah. So... I'm trying, like, you try to put yourself in that mindset. Like, what exactly are you doing? Like, why are you taking these videos and photos? What is this doing for you? I don't even know. So, That's AJ... a weird question to have to ask, I mean, honestly. honestly, this is entirely yeah. fucked up. Yeah. AJ in these videos appeared to have small white bandages covering all of these areas on his forearms, a cloth bandage wrapped loosely around his waist. There were wounds and bruises on his arms and his waist. 
AJ was also holding a large blue ice pack over his face in a few of the videos. Um, and then when it was removed, it revealed swollen eyes covered in large, dark, um, and red bruising. So like he was punched in the face. Right. Yeah. During the video, Cunningham is berating the child for soiling a mattress. There was another video detailed from March 27th in which she, this is very difficult. Uh, she was choking him and threatening and he because because he said that he was going to get her in trouble with someone oh my gosh at this point after she starts choking him he um obviously can't fucking breathe and she yells to him uh bullshit she says do you think i'm dumb and don't know um what you're doing she pushed him against a wall uh insisting that he tell her who she's like who he's going to talk to who he's going to tattle on her wow um and he repeatedly asks her to stop because he can't breathe after she's done choking him she basically forces him to say that he loves his family and she then responds uh bullshit you don't show it um and then gets in his face um again and then that's where the video ends oh my god um great parenting skills jesus fucking christ they took a parenting class too oh my (laughs) god obviously didn't work right um that was probably the most difficult thing for me to read during this entire thing Mm -hmm. i just can't understand why you would take a video of yourself abusing your child i don't know what the fuck are you doing i know and it's like it's so Hard. You talk about putting yourself in that mentality to to try and like mm-hmm. rationalize. Like there is no what, rationality, right? In a drug right. And mind. there is there is like it's so hard to like put yourself in that position for mm-hmm. for most people because most people would not be abusing their children, let alone jump, recording yeah. <laughs> it. You know, mm-hmm. God. So after they found all of that stuff on her phone, they didn't find very much on Andrew's phone except for a, a search on how to give a CPR to a child. Which that is probably more telling than, a, than right. anything yeah, in, yeah. in and of itself. Oh my god! Um, on April twenty fourth, Andrew Friend confessed to the death of his son, and he then led the detectives to the shallow grave outside of Woodstock, Illinois, where he had buried him. Um, he confessed that on April fourteenth, AJ was punished by Joanne Cunningham, and he was hit. Uh, this is what he said: he was hit a bit, and then placed in a cold shower for 20 minutes i think he said oh my gosh the boy was then put to bed naked and wet and cold and at 3 a.m the father went in to check on him and he had passed away friend told cunningham he would take care of the boy uh he then placed him in a bin and then buried him earlier in the morning um in that unincorporated area of woodstock According to the forensic pathologist, AJ had severe trauma from the beating he received, including trauma to his head and blood in his lungs. Oh, my God. So when the father hit said he was bit. hit a bit, that's right. more than a bit if there's yeah. fucking blood in your lungs. Right. Oh, my God. Now, the mother... That's fucking terrible. She took a plea deal and pled guilty and will yeah. be facing 20 to 60 years in jail. She still has to appear before a, a judge. And I think she actually asked to be... Um, to go before a... Um, like a a jury of her peers i'm pretty sure is what i read the last thing yeah there hasn't been a whole lot on her since because she took the plea deal right right Um, the father was going back and forth for a while uh, about a plea deal but now he will appear in court at the end of february 
and the judges actually okayed media coverage during this trial, so there will be videos taken oh, of his trial. So you will be able to watch yeah. that. This will definitely be something I'm going to keep an eye on, because even like in the lead-up to... Joanne pleading guilty, she did, which was one of these really dumb things on her part. Um, Not that any of this is very smart to do, but she did an interview with um, one of the news channels where she called in from jail as she Mm -hmm. was awaiting um, her... I don't even think it was... It was before she did the plea deal. Mm -hmm. And it was all very... Strange. I don't. Did you see that video? I at did all? a little bit. Um, it was all very weird, and I think she definitely is feeling guilt now. And there's something. But, there's something severely wrong with her. Yes. Besides, yeah. being a drug addict. Yes. The way she talks and the things she says, and the videos and things. There's something. I, there. She has some sort of issue. I don't know what it is. I'm not a fucking yeah, doctor, no, but no. The bitch needs to get checked out. Like, yeah. She needs to see somebody. Um. You don't hit your kids for no reason. There's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to now. I want to speak about DCFS. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So after this case, three people were fired from DCFS. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real issues with this system are deep. There have been many, many attempts to counter the issues to no avail. There is a severe lack of funding, overworked staff, not enough staff, not enough training, no follow-up on cases, no follow-ups after a case is closed or, you know, attempting to be closed, and then constantly changing management. That's just a few things that are wrong. (laughs) Right. I mean, I understand. It is extremely emotional and exhausting uh, career path. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking to children who can't understand what's happening to them you're talking to families who feel desperate you're i mean it's just it's a lot and it is and when you're done with a case and you're like okay i did a good job let me wash my hands of this done on to the next one you can't you can't do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it comes to things like abuse and neglect i don't know if a person can be rehabilitated for that yeah i really don't know yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I like to think that everybody for the most part can be rehabilitated from mm-hmm. any of this what's considered morally objectable behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Um and these are the things that we all agree on, things like pedophilia, abuse. Like I would like to think that everybody mm-hmm. um should at least get a shot at rehabilitation. Right. I mean, in terms of abuse though, a lot of times what happens, too, is people who who abuse have been abused, mm-hmm. and then it becomes this pattern that is inherent in you that you, you know, you try to escape. I, you know, I've been hit. I've, I've had things happen to me. I, I don't have children because of things that have happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a very conscious decision that I made. Yeah. But people, for the most part, aren't aware of that in themselves like yeah you're not you're not going to make the connection that if you were hit as a child and you're hitting your kid or you're yelling at them in the same way that you were berated a lot of people aren't conscious enough to make those connections but we also grow up in a you know our i think our generation is probably the last generation where it's like yeah i got hit and that's what made me so strong like you yeah, know probably um, that's not a thing anymore yeah. people are people have went the exact extreme and and do like heller helicopter parenting oh and God. like which Molly is also Coddle, not great which is not helpful at but all it's a different conversation <laughs> exactly yeah. but so 
there was like a, a societal reaction to that sort of mm-hmm. a thing because in the 90s jesus christ all of these fucking abuse cases with children and all of this child pedophilia and abduction things started coming out and you're like right. oh my god someone needs to do something right <laughs> um but particularly in illinois is what we're going to talk about here the dcfs system it needs to be started over from scratch these people were drug addicts and they mm-hmm. struggled and they continually relapsed and obviously there should have been protocols in place where they were continually checking in on them because of the particular situation that they were in when they started to have dcfs called them again in 2018 that should have reopened everything yeah and it didn't i came across a bunch of articles too that really made me so mad there was a few articles in 2017 that the tribune reported on and they reported that dcfs employees were pushed to speed up their work including child protection investigations under an initiative called blue star workers were offered overtime pay if they closed a case in two weeks instead of the 60-day allotted time by the state the tribune also found that a joliet office administrator created a contest for workers who closed the most abuse and neglect cases offering a hundred dollar and fifty dollar gift cards hmm. so that's not great what this says to me is that they're so overwhelmed with work mm-hmm. because of the lack of funding because mm-hmm. of the lack of people who want to go into this career system mm-hmm. uh that they're just trying to get shit done and they yeah. don't care at what cost and you can't have that mentality when you're working with social justice like it, right. that's not something that you can do or should do and i understand that they audit the system continuously but auditing is not going to fix anything okay mm-hmm. i've worked at places and you know nonprofit institutions who go through audits all the time right right like we need to bring an outside person to talk about the workflow and it's like you want to talk about fucking workflow when we're in an office that has no lights and we don't mm-hmm. have heating and there's five of us to do a job for 25 people. Like, you're not looking at the bigger picture of the issues that are truly wrong. Right. Right. So I impress upon people to... I know everyone wants to do, you know, Women's March and we got issues with the fucking election coming up. I get it. Yeah. But in the state of Illinois... This is important. Yeah. They're looking to completely redo the DCFS system. Yeah. And if you live in the state, I highly encourage you to please get involved and to call yes. any and every senator, house representative, yes. local oh official that you fucking can. Yes. Read about the protocols that DCFS is currently doing. Mm-hmm. Look at systems that are more successful. Yeah. And look at things that have never been done before. Yeah. We also need to encourage people to be trained at more than just levels of school and contact with children Mm -hmm. i encourage people who have neighborhood children just to look at what you're supposed to look for if you you think there's abuse happening and of course if you see something fucking say something i know a lot of people are afraid to get involved in situations don't be afraid you can anonymously make tips to hotlines don't be afraid to say something if you think a child is being abused yeah it's scary. I, I mean, mm-hmm. from experience, it's scary to call a hotline and be like, I think this kid is being fucking, you know, not fed. Yeah. Like, yeah. I had to report because a child I believed was not being fed or bathed. Mm-hmm. Every day I saw them, they asked me for food and I 
could smell them a mile away. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I had to fucking call the, the DCFS hotline because I'm like, I almost 100% positive that this child is not being taken care of. Yeah. They yeah. would walk in to uh, the room by themselves every day. I never, ever saw their fucking parent. Jeez. It, it was the yeah. most gut-wrenching experience I had. Right. So, I encourage you, please, contact your local person. Get involved. Talk about it. Yeah. You Things want my two cents change. on this thing? Yes, please. Go for it. Because <laughs> I'll be... I will put in my two cents, and then I'm I'm ready to be done with I'm this. Very, I, I encourage people to yeah. talk about it, because that's yeah. the other thing. No one talks about yeah. it. And this is... So, here's, here's the deal, and we've said this a few times, but this did happen very close to us mm-hmm. and i'm talking like within a 15 minute car ride yeah <laughs> and so so very quickly everybody had an opinion mm-hmm. about this and what you saw largely was people coming out and wanting to blame not only the parents but also blame the system that failed them and i mm-hmm. totally understand that mentality my whole issue with this is as much as they wanted to like blame individual people people, Mm -hmm. you need to look at the system as a whole exactly these people that are hired by the government are working within the system Mm -hmm. that they are given and you are not going to effectuate any change by wanting to blame the individuals who work for Mm them i'm not firing those three people did nothing right (laughs) And I'm, and I'm, I'm also not saying that necessarily everyone is a good actor, just as I'm not saying everyone is necessarily a bad actor. Like, there are always going to be cases where people just suck at their jobs. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. However, in this case, a lot of these things happen because of protocol and exactly. the lack of funding, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I am in total agreement <laughs> that you need to look at the fucking government, and that is where the change needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Not at this very low level area mm-hmm. you need to elect people in office that are going to change the system now i will say there has been some positive things that have come out just in the year 2020 that went into effect january 1st mm-hmm. that have be, have come about because of this specific case mm-hmm. and i know one of the, one of the things i saw was there was a portion of the because january 1st we also legalized marijuana here in illinois mm-hmm. it was um, big news it was big had, news we also had um cases with um statute of limitations they're yes. removing that so yeah there's there was a lot of good stuff things happening and one of the things about the because they're taxing the shit out of oh my marijuana God. they're taxing the shit but, out of everything there was such an increase with right taxes here it's fucking nuts but <laughs> part of those tax dollars that illinois is receiving is actually being put into the dcfs system mm-hmm. which is great because funding is a thing that we have a really big issue yeah instead with of putting it towards here roads quote unquote yeah and well never, we got other we got other shit we tax for our road tax yeah but that's great that's great to have this now extra stream of income to put into that system there was something else that had to do with the 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 reporting of things for dcfs or the amount of time that dcfs goes to check on something there was something like so i mean they shortened it there has already been positive change oh, as yeah. a direct result of this the issue is is it should not take something like this right it shouldn't take 120 in order to change kids dying for yes. you to be like oh maybe we should do something about yes. it yes but because <laughs> no. it was a case that was so big and so close to home people got fucking upset about it as they should mm-hmm. 
And but then the other issue I had is then why aren't your fucking neighbors calling DCFS every goddamn day reporting them and then they would do something like that's yeah. where I got really yeah. infuriated. It's like yeah. oh all of these people who lived in that fucking neighborhood wanted to come out and be like we knew something was wrong. Well then fucking call the cops. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't you call the cops yeah. then? Hindsight's twenty twenty, but shit, you didn't do anything. Yeah, I agree. So that's my two cents yeah. on the whole thing. I'm I'm happy to move on from this because yes, I just wanted to end it angering, with the two but, pictures that I found yes. that kind of really highlight mm-hmm. why I think people should have really been fucking paying attention. There is a picture from when they just retained custody of him and his parents look happy and healthy he he's got a big round face and he's all jolly the parents look like they're like they're doing good right like they've actually ate some food didn't do fucking drugs then there's a picture below that of when they were arrested and a picture taken maybe i think it was like a week or two right before he passed away the child looks gaunt. Yeah. He looks like he hasn't been fed. His mother clearly is on drugs. You can fucking it is see like it in quite her face. the contrast between the two. You can see the difference. Yeah. If I saw that woman on the street, I'd be like, she's on drugs. Yeah. You can, it's, it's every telltale fucking mm-hmm. sign. He looks a little bit better. He could pass, but no, he it's was just, also it's, not doing. You his, can see yeah. the contrast between. You these can two. see what was happening, and yes. that's why it infuriates me to think that people, after he died, were like, "Yeah, you know, something wasn't right." You can just look at this family and see that there was something wrong. Yep. So, all I can say that I'm just going to harp about it is: if you see something, just fucking say something. The worst thing that can happen is nothing. <laughs> You know, the worst thing you can happen is you call and nothing happens. It's true. But, yeah. That's the case. Damn. It's done and over with. I can get it out of my mind now. <laughs> we can breathe a little We easy. can breathe. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So I am going to be covering the case of a girl named Georgia Cruz. And I chose this this case particularly because of the size of the town. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a very small town named Mount Verde in Florida. Now, back in the 80s, their population was just about 400 people. So it's even smaller than where we live at the moment, "Mm." which is, I think, around 1,000 now. Maybe someone asked me. I was like, I have no fucking clue. No, I know there's a lot of old people, so it's going to go down pretty quickly. (laughs) Deaths. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Although as of 2018, the population here had grown to 1,600 or so. Georgia was in fifth grade in 1980, and she was described by the Orlando Sentinel as a girl who quote loved her bulldog Tiger and Kenny Rogers. (laughs) Yeah, and sewing her own clothes and sometimes stitching dresses and colorful two piece outfits by hand. 
which is just like this cl- sounds like me it's very classic <laughs> 80s mm-hmm. kid too i think oh my gosh i love that <laughs> i love how the kenny rogers got like oh kenny rogers what kind of a 12 year old loves kenny rogers oh i mean she's the, what people used to tell me when i was young an old soul yes <laughs> an old soul every day of my fucking life oh <laughs> my god um the town itself is like shown as this super tight-knit small community and it was like one of those kind of places where everybody knows each other mm-hmm. you kind of know everything that's going on this is why i really identified with this because it's very similar to where <laughs> where we live georgia lived there along with her parents linda and mike and her two older brothers charles who is 15 and tony who is 16 Uh, On April 8th, 1980, Georgia's parents, Linda and Mike, left the kids at home to lay some catfish lines, which that sounds like it might be weird, but it was not a weird thing to do one in the 80s and especially Mm -hmm. not weird for like a small town like that. Um, Haven't you been noodling? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And the lake was literally right next door Mm -hmm. um, to where they lived. Mike worked as a commercial fisherman and they often left the kids at home if he had to go do the lake and she had older siblings that mm-hmm. were also there yeah like, my sister watched us same up. she's same. only six years older than us so it's like, yeah yeah right my sister is seven or eight years older than i am mm-hmm. so like it was no big deal to have your 16 year old watching your oh yeah she you know. was younger when she's. I think oh, she geez. was like thirteen when she was watching. <laughs> well, same, mm-hmm. same concept. You know? <laughs> At approximately five thirty p.m., Georgia and her bulldog Tiger left the house to go to a local <laughs> convenience store. It's cute, right? I just can't get over how cute it is. <laughs> I know. They left to go to the local convenience store, which is approximately a mile from their house, to get some evening snackums before they settled in to what I saw was watch a Kenny Kenny Rogers movie. Yeah, some nice like Hostess cupcakes, right? mm. I know. (laughs) My childhood, having flashbacks to walking into the Quick Mart Mm -hmm. for real. Mm -hmm. Um, But. It had been about an hour since Georgia had left the house, and so her brother Tony started to get a little bit worried because it was pretty Good. unusual. <laughs> yeah, so they started searching the neighborhood, uh, calling her name, thinking she was just like at a friend's house or just like stopped to, I don't know, do something that kids do mm-hmm. on their way home. Throw rocks into a river, right? <laughs> uh, It would have been a bit strange for her to be out at this point because it was starting to get dark. And in an article from the Daytona Beach Morning Journal, they referenced Georgia being, quote, mortally afraid of the dark. Mm -hmm. So she was very conscious about, like, not being out past when the sun went down because fuck that. Right. Mike, right? Yeah. It's a healthy Um, fear. It is. It is. And honestly, I think about it now and, like, our curfew was when the streetlights came on. Like, when mm-hmm. we were a little older, like, you know, 13, 14, we go play at the park. It's like, come on when the streetlights come on. Yeah. That's about when it starts getting mm-hmm. a little too dark to do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike and Linda return home to find the kids still searching the neighborhood. And so they immediately called the police. It didn't take long for people to, like, turn out in droves searching for Georgia. Um, police and townspeople alike, as many as 100 residents turned out to help, mm-hmm. which in a town of around 400... That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's a quarter of the town, basically. Yeah. Now, that many people showing up is, is like, a great thing to help. And I'm just going to say off the bat, I applaud everybody who came out to help. However, one of the major issues that quickly became apparent was there was this 
po- like possibly potential evidence mm-hmm. that got uh, destroyed with everyone like running around and looking, trampled on right. like footprints, like because you have people who don't know what to look for, right? And just kind of going everywhere, right? You're just looking for like a lost kid at mm-hmm. this point. Um, it's hard to know what we don't know, obviously, but I'd bet that there, like I said, would have been footprints or like something that were completely destroyed with all the people searching. But nevertheless, the search continued in the days following, including use of a helicopter to search overhead, tracking dogs, riders on horseback to go through the orange groves, because the town itself had the lake on one side, and then it was a bunch of orange groves on the Mm. other side. And they dragged the lake as well, all of which turned up very little evidence. What was found was a set of George's footprints because she was notorious for walking barefoot outside. Girl after my heart. <laughs> right. All right. This is this is actually kind of like this a little This is actually you. a story about my childhood. <laughs> Names have been changed. So many times my grandmother was like, put your shoes on. And I'm like, no, never. Never, ever. Yeah, <laughs> I was that kid for a while, too. Mm-hmm. I just didn't wear shoes I all that I still often. don't. I'll be at my house, and I will walk around outside in my yard without anything on. Yeah. And then I'll step on something, and then Bill I, will be like, you should have wore shoes. I'm like, fuck you. I don't wear shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely used to get in trouble for riding the bike without shoes. Mm-hmm. That was like, which, I, I mean, like... As an adult. Razor scootering without shoes. Oh, my God. So dangerous. Why did I do that shit? Like, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty dumb. But, you know, I just didn't want to wear the damn shoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) According to Click Orlando, quote, during the search, after they'd they'd found her dog in the search, Mm -hmm. said, during the search, the pup sat at the crossroad just down the street from the Cruz's home, refusing to move, as if telling the family that that was where he last saw her. In fact, every morning after Georgia disappeared, Tiger would run back out to the crossroad and sit there waiting for her to return. Tony or Charles would have to get him at nightfall and bring him back home, (laughs) end quote. I'm so sorry, Janelle. Oh, no. I know. I guarantee you, if I ever disappeared, Hans would do the same thing. Hans would sit at the <laughs> corner. Oh, my God. Stop. Oh, God. Little Hans. Oh, my God. Why did that get me so hard? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought I was going to cry during my story. I know. And I'm crying because a dog's waiting for something. It's because it's like, it is like that classic moment you'd want in any story where right. it's like, the human always, human like, animal connection. The fucking dogs know, man. Listen to the dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the interesting thing happened just two days after George's disappearance. The Lake County Sheriff's Office received a call from an anonymous person who said, quote, you know that 12-year-old girl you're looking for? She's dead. End quote. Damn. And then hung up. That was it. Similar calls were made to both George's grandmother and the town police marshal's wife. Unfortunately, due to the sporadic nature of the calls and the fact that it was the 1980s, like they weren't able to put an immediate trace on the phone calls and the caller was never identified. It's giving me like little Gregory. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The crow (laughs) Mm -hmm. calling. Damn Um, it. (laughs) Police were able to make a recording of the phone call, but that recording has since been lost. So they're never, we're never going to know. It's probably on a beta player somewhere. 
<laughs> the, the beta tapes. The beta tapes. <laughs> the um, lost beta tapes. <laughs> it would take another six days after that for Georgia's body to be found. On April 16th, Georgia was found in a lightly wooded area called Fern Park that was approximately 25 miles from her home in Montverde. The area was commonly used as this like cut through between an apartment complex that was right there and the local shopping center. It was just kind of like little foresty area. And it was discovered by a family passing through. They'd actually walked through the area earlier and did not see Georgia's body. It was only when they came back on their return trip that like the wind had changed just enough that it was blowing this just terrible odor and they thought that was weird so i would say so yeah (laughs) they followed the odor the direction of the odor and um discovered the body and immediately called police she had been found on her back with one leg bent at the knee tucked under the other and she had been stabbed in the back one time, and this was determined to be the cause of death. She was still wearing the same clothes she had last been seen in on the day of her disappearance, and there were no signs that a sexual assault or rape had taken place. Upon further search of the area, police also found a silver-colored cross that looked homemade, and there's a picture of that on the bottom of the notes. It's kind of this, like, um, just looks like a little welded piece of metal mm. almost. almost it almost looks found yeah i yeah i'm not sure somewhere described that as like motorcycle parts and i was like i don't think that's what that is though mm, no i but only saw that like one place so i mean there it looks like there's holes in it yeah um like a chain sort of a screw something to do with that yeah it looks like something gets screwed into it right yeah Unfortunately, in the nine-day period that Georgia had been missing, the body had become very badly decomposed, signaling to me, of course, the untrained armchair detective, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that she had probably been murdered and dropped out there the night she disappeared. And also, it's Florida. Right. And that's the thing, (laughs) is I'm not entirely sure, like, what an April in Florida is like, but I'm going to assume it's pretty fucking hot. Well, also, isn't that when it's wet? Swampy? Yeah, isn't that when it has its, like, rain season in spring? I I don't know that I've ever been out in, like, the early months of the year. Well, that's when hurricanes happen, isn't it? So I'm thinking that's, like, their wet season, which would definitely make things all... Yeah, because then it would just get like muggy and gross mm-hmm. if it get, if it got any sort of heat. Um, but it was very badly decomposed. Uh, unfortunately, this meant that she couldn't be visually identified. So the the family never actually got to identify the body. Uh, they had to identify Georgia from her medical and dental records. Now, I want to go back to that silver cross that was found on her body. Mm-hmm. According to the Orlando Sentinel. Quote, it wasn't the cross Georgia usually wore, a little gold pendant on a delicate chain that her grandmother had given her the previous Christmas. Also that, quote, the cross looked homemade. It was two pieces of silver colored metal with holes drilled into them, welded together and attached to a thick silver chain. So the family didn't think that this cross the police had found had actually belonged to Georgia and that they had always been really confused as to like, how she got this cross on her. It's one of those things that just adds, I think, to the mystery of this whole case. 
Detectives began an investigation into who killed Georgia, starting with interviewing dozens and dozens of community members, none of which had seen anything strange, which is almost a little weird in itself. Um, Again, speaking as a member of a small community, Mm -hmm. very rarely is it that something happens in our town that we don't see or hear about in some manner. Um, The amount of like car accidents that happen, Mm -hmm. there's like two intersections that car accidents happen at all the time. Mm -hmm. But from my window, I can see all the cop cars and where they're driving because that's how many fields there are Mm -hmm. next to my house and it takes you know i mean we've got (laughs) i hate to say this but we've got some neighbors that kind of know what's going on generally speaking so like small town you got that nosy neighbor right so like a lot of nosy so like my dad will hear from the neighbor who heard from so and so that this thing happened like it's very rare that if something weird is happening that we wouldn't know about it right Lots of gossip. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have no idea. I was outside of it for a very, very long time because I just didn't talk to my neighbors. (laughs) All it takes is one conversation. Well, then one of the girls that started working at a restaurant near us moved in, and we talked to her a lot when she works where we go to eat, and now I have a neighbor that I know. (laughs) Yeah, right. Good job, Janelle. Damn it. Good job. I wanted to be that weird reclusive couple. Oh no, that's a bad thing. Old house. What? (laughs) We never hear or see from them. We (laughs) don't even know if they're still alive in there. Exactly. Oh my god. (laughs) So this also, because of nobody seeing anything strange, led to the belief that the person who had done this horrible crime was a member of the community and that it would have been somebody who could kind of like pass by unnoticed. After investigating for months, authorities were unable to find any additional evidence or form any new leads in the search for George's killer. That is until they heard from a man named Albert Lara Jr. in September 1980. Mm -hmm. Albert Lara was a resident of a prison in Fort Madison, Iowa, and he was serving a life sentence for strangling a teenage girl. Uh, Laura, or sorry, Laura reached out to the Lake County Sheriff's Office to provide the following confession. I'm going to read this to you, and I want your thoughts, because... I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to listen to you. (coughs) All right. Because it's an interesting one. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to take this all in. Quote... Driving down the road, I turned off what seemed to be a gravel road, well, a paved road, half and half, and 300 yards or so, I spotted a girl there. I pulled over, pulled over on her side. She was opposite of me, and I started talking to her, asking directions. And while I was talking to her, a car went by. After the car passed, I grabbed her, got out of the car, and threw her in the car. Drove up about two, maybe 300 yards and spotted a house. So I turned around. I drove down a couple miles or so and pulled over where a bunch of trees were and kind of hid my car and threw her in the back of the, I guess, the trunk or whatever. Then I drove on, found some trees, sat there and drank some beer, thought a while, and then I took her out of the trunk and put her in the back seat. I guess I commenced to rape her or something. She started struggling. She got away. I grabbed her, and at the time, my right hand found an object, an ice picker, a screwdriver or something, and I stabbed her on her lower back, end quote. He then went on to say that he had gotten her clothes back like on and straightened and put her still alive in the trunk, but then drove her to another town and dumped her body behind a shopping center. Thoughts? (laughs) Okay. It was evident that she was stabbed in the back when they found her. Yes. Through her clothing. 
I don't honestly know that it was specified, but it didn't sound like she had her clothing removed. They they had mentioned that like the top button of her jeans was undone, but it didn't look like there had been any sexual mm-hmm. assault, so it didn't look like the clothes had been taken off. Because that sounds made up. I think so too. It sounds made up. <laughs> It sounds like you just have a little bit enough of the facts of what mm-hmm. was happening to kind of like fill in the story yourself. Yeah. But that when he said, I took off her clothes and then I stabbed her. I'm like, well, no, because they were, they very, it sounded like they evidently saw the, the stab wound. Yeah. When they well, turned her over. it says that, I mean, in that he says he raped her and. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Or something. Yeah. Or yeah. something to that effect. There was a lot of that. Well, I guess it was this or whatever. And who just casually has an ice pick yeah or a screwdriver i mean a screwdriver i can understand <laughs> in the back of your cart but a casual ice pick laying on the floorboard not so much yeah i if yes well let's <laughs> let's talk about okay, this let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the 40 years since her disappearance and murder this has actually been one of the few things that provided like any sort of hope in finding her killer however the confession was thrown out because the state's attorney at the time gordon oldham felt there were numerous inconsistencies between what Lara said, um, like what Lara was saying and what investigators found at the crime scene and autopsies that happened afterward. Which, good for him. Because in right. most cases, in a small they town, would just take people it. are like, done, case closed. They would just take Boom. it. <laughs> um, it sounds to me like Lara had a bit of that old Henry Lee Lucas syndrome. <laughs> uh, you don't he, say. Where he would confess to random crimes uh, just because. He had confessed to several other murders and violent crimes that authorities were having difficulty substantiating. Um, Many of the officials who have worked on the case over the years believe that this was the right decision not to use that confession. Because while Lara was in Florida at the time of George's murder, the belief is that Lara was trying to use what he had heard about the case to get charged in Florida because the prison he was in in Ohio was like really dilapidated and mm-hmm. kind of shitty. And so he wanted to get out of there. A tropical vacation to a tropical prison. The, tro- the tropical prison <laughs> with drinks and mm-hmm. beachside chairs and it's blue Hawaiian yeah. wino. That's every every prison in Florida is yeah. just a tropical prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people think that he was trying to use that to, to get out of this awful situation. There are other people, though, who think um, after going through all of these interviews and investigations that they did, that Lara was the best suspect that they had. The language he was using, too, though, like, or whatever. Like, right. Most killers are definitive, even if it, you know, a fake confession. They're definitive in what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It was an ice pick. Yeah. I it very it. much was. Well, and even, like, in the beginning when he talks about the paved road or the gravel road, well, it was mm-hmm. kind of, like, half and half. I don't, you know, I, I mean, don't really to be honest, there are roads like that by us where it starts yeah. paved and then it goes into gravel abruptly as it's yeah, going around true. a curve. That's um, true. <laughs> and then you flip your car and it's terrifying. And then you were like, oop, Dukes of Hazard, gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was all very sketch. Personally, I don't think that they had enough other evidence to charge him like even with the confession as i always i always always think this even if you have a confession you have to use that in addition to other evidence Mm -hmm. um to substantiate what people are saying obviously like i said i pointed out the case of henry lucas that was hundreds right Mm -hmm. um that everybody just ran with yeah so you gotta double check this stuff Mm -hmm. 
the interrogation that he was under was actually a big problem as well because investigators and I was looking to see cool. if I could find a transcript or a video or something, but investigators seem to be feeding him many details about the case. Just um, like Henry Lee Lucas. They right. left like the case files out and he fucking yeah. read through them. Yeah. Like, how is that? Yeah. Instead of <laughs> letting him describe it himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Lara has never been charged in this case. Uh, as far as I know, he's still alive and sitting in jail because he's got life in prison. I don't know if he's still at the Iowa jail. That kind of sucks. But, I mean, I guess it's jail, so... Jail is jail is jail. Yeah, right? Um, unfortunately, that's about where this case has stood for the last 40 years. Uh, no new leads have come up, and the case has completely gone stagnant. Uh, but... Of course, as we always do at the end of a story like this, if you have any information about the disappearance and murder of Georgia Cruz, please contact the Seminole County Sheriff's Office at 407-665-6600 or Crimeline at 1-800-123-8477. I'm wondering if there's any substantial DNA evidence they can pull. They because they try that? I know because there wasn't a sexual assault, they didn't have like semen or anything mm-hmm. like that to, that mean, they'd be able to pull. Clothes. Yeah. I'm sure they kept those. Um they <clears> did <throat> for some reason and I might cross. be mis <laughs> I might be misremembering, but I feel like they did an investigation into this case and the DNA they were able to pull was too deteriorated yeah. mm-hmm. um to be able to use. Yeah, and that was because I was thinking, oh man, there's that, but it, it's Florida and yeah. everything is just. Well, especially the state of decomposition that mm-hmm. she was found in when they originally found her was like exactly. so bad. So, yeah. that is the story of the small town of Monteverde and Georgia Cruz. If you're not depressed enough. Yes. <laughs> or if you need something to lift you out of this heavy, heavy episode, why don't you listen to this podcast? <laughs> My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that has been our show. Thank you for joining us. Sorry to be a downer. Yeah, that was all Janelle's fault. I know. I got to start picking lighthearted shit. I'm just over here like, social justice, we must get everyone. First, you're out for a week, and then you come back and you're like, hold on, I just got to bring all this shit down. Hold on, I'm not done crying every day. (laughs) Um, So before we go, we do want to talk about we're going to be in Kansas City, Missouri, Mm -hmm. July 11th for the True Crime Podcast Festival it's official we booked our it's Air- official. we booked our airbnb <laughs> i was excited i did adult things <laughs> yeah we should have some others coming yeah. up soon well once it's some definitive we'll, we'll let, let you know, know. <laughs> we'll let you know um but we're getting really excited for that i'm excited just to have something to look forward to in the summer to get me through the beginning of 2020 and i'm gonna make you eat barbecue i know you have like an iffy relationship with it but i, I mean dislike you barbecue. You try it all before you can no. say, no thank you. I don't, dis- <laughs> I don't dislike barbecue, mm-hmm. but I'm not actively not seeking, seeking it, out it out either. Okay. Well, I will you know? force you to seek it out. <laughs> you know? 
we are saying above a, a ramen shop, which okay. I'm super yeah. fucking excited about. I'm on board for ramen. I'm so excited about. Um, so that is July 11th. You can find more information at I just T- like how that's that's the selling point. Ramen, ramen. Uh, you can find more information and tickets are on sale at tcpf2020.com. If we have another event, we'll let you know. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about yeah. our January live event coming up soon yes. once we have everything done with that. <laughs> um, if you would like to support the show, you can find all the information for that at badtastecrimecast.com slash donate. <laughs> I like how you're questioning that. I had to think about eyes. it for a minute. Um, Jan- Janelle has been working on a series for our Patreon mm-hmm. called... Yep cocktails and conspiracies yes i got it wrong the last time i said it and tip was like ah because she she was she was with me on our last episode Mm -hmm. and she was like bitch you said it wrong i was like it's fine it's not important Um, How is it? It's good. Um, you can listen to the first one for free, even if you're not a Patreon subscriber. Oh, if nice. you just want to see what it's about, um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get the entire backlog of everything that we've done thus far. Oh my far, god, so much. And you get to hear all of the new stuff coming up. You get our tour, tour dates? Shall I call them tour dates? When they occur before anyone else? <laughs> I mean... Live events? I'm just... Uh, live. I'm, we'll say live events. Our live Our tour. International. No. <laughs> the tour The tour we do around northern Illinois. Yeah. And sometimes so, Kansas City. Right. Occasionally we'll meander into southern yeah. Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've actually had some opportunities to do some live shows in the last like year, year mm-hmm. and a half. And that's been super fun. So it's I am really hoping fun. that we're going to be I able to do some more people, things about that. You get to hear that before anyone else if you're a Patreon subscriber. You Woo. get all of the discount codes first for our Woo. merch, so it's yeah. worth it if you yeah. if you love us that much. Yes, <laughs> it's true. So you can find that at badtastecrimecast.com slash donate or search us on Patreon. Either yes. way, it'll you just, get you to yeah, the same place. You'll find us. <laughs> I think that's all we got for this episode this week. I think so. All right, well... That's been another episode of the Bad Taste Crimecast. Our sound of editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. I forgot about the button. <laughs> yeah. I also thought we have another noisemaker on the table. If you oh, I'll t- I will tell you about that. There's a reason that's sitting there. Ooh, can't wait. Uh, we will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another.